0: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008 To soul to soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kivman, And today we are going to talk about It is a very special Shabbos to we speak The Shabbos Project So how are you getting ready for the Shabbos Project We certainly want to have an inspirational and a meaningful Shabbos project this week because we're keeping it together right here in Johannesburg and anywhere else around the world where you're keeping Shabbos. And I hope everybody's making that extra special effort to be keeping Shabbos this week. What a beautiful, wonderful project of our Chief Rabbi. And so my friends, let me share with you just a few insights that perhaps can help us and enhance to some degree or another our Shabbos observance this week, this year, of course, let's start with a little story. You know, Steven Spielberg, he helped build a wonderful Chabad shul. It's known as Beis Betzalel, or Bernie's place, in Los Angeles, California. And the Rav of the shul, his name is Rabbi Lisbon, he once asked Spielberg, he said, please, I want you to dedicate the shul in memory of your stepfather. His name was Betzalel, they call him Bernie. So during the dedication, one of my friends, who was a young rabbinical student at the time, he asked Steven Spielberg, he said, tell me, share with me, please, some inside secrets of making a movie. That's what he asked Steven Spielberg. And Spielberg thought for a moment and he said, you'll notice it's a common, it's very common in, in a dramatic scene to gradually build the music to a crescendo and then stop, rest, silence. That's the way they do it. Whatever's spoken on the screen is that silence. You think for that moment, you ever whenever you watch a movie, you see the way they do it, the way the, the movie producers put this in, that silence in there. But you could hear through the silence there's a message that's conveyed that's sometimes so clear and powerful, more so than if there were words. You hear how that music reaches its crescendo and then shh. So that effect or to say, I don't know, those words, or the lack of words that happen at that moment, that gives an extra potency, because it's spoken out of the silence. It's not, it's not a, it's not, sometimes the words that aren't said are more powerful than the words that are said. When you listen to the music, Spielberg was telling my friend, listen to the rhythm of rest. And he gave an example, he said, Think of Martin Luther King's most famous speech. Wish I could play it for you here. It says, listen to the rhythm of, you know, you listen to it. Whenever you watch it, as kids in school growing up in the US, it was part of our curriculum. And you hear the way he goes, free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I think of that, of... Martin Luther's King, uh, Martin Luther King's speech and our, th- this, this idea that Steven Spielberg was conveying is that in a sense that's Shabbos. Shabbos is the pause and the rest in the rhythm of the week. And just as the words that follow the pause in a movie's music, just like they have their extra power, The thoughts, the words, the deeds—everything we do on Shabbos—I think it has that extra special meaning. They—they tend to um, give us that extra potency. That they—they lend life, that spiritual power and potency that we need, and that is Shabbos. That is Shabbos for all of us. And I, I, you know, if we could just tap into the energy to the rest that Shabbos gives us, how powerful that could be. And I think we could all tap into it. So as we get into Shul this Friday night, and we begin our Shabbos special services, we welcome Shabbos with lighting our Shabbos candles. You might recall, I mentioned previously, who remembers January 1st, 2000? Y2K. And in honor of the millennium, the New York Times attempted to predict what its edition would look like on January 1st in another 100 years. Well, by now it would be another 80, 79 years. But what it would look like, and they ran this imaginary front page. And there were articles about robots demanding equal rights and, and statehood for Cuba. And in the business news, McDonald's uh, was the, the struggling restaurant chain. All these different stories. And it was a, a portrait of what the world would look like in a hundred years. I don't think they ever even imagined what that, that COVID would kick in between. Who is to fathom that even? But what's interesting is at the bottom of the page was a four-line advertisement. And it read, Jewish women and girls light Shabbos candles 18 minutes before sunset. And it gives the time for New York City, whatever it is, the time... On January 1st, 2100. You think about this. Shabbos candles endure. They always have, they always will. Shabbos candles bring warmth and holiness into our homes. In fact, when I think about the bracha, the blessing that God gives to Abraham in this week's Parsha, where last week we read that God says look at the stars and so will be your descendants. But in our parsha, God says to Abraham, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And people wonder sometimes, what kind of blessing is it to be like the dust of the earth? And one thought that comes to my mind is that the dust of the earth always endures. It never, you think about when the US bombed Japan during the Second World War. Or 9-11, where I personally witnessed and experienced the havoc, the destruction. And it was the buildings that crumbled to the ground, the man-made structures, but the the earth beneath that was never destroyed. That endured. That stayed there for eternity. That's not something that disappears. And in in that sense, God was. We could say the blessing that God was giving to Abraham and Sarah in our parsha is that we, the Jewish people, will endure for eternity. The Shabbos candle represents that in a sense, even the New York Times published it. It symbolizes the presence of God in our home and the the promise of enduring warmth and light over the cold and and darkness that pervades the world outside, over the destruction and havoc, over the, the struggles and challenges, the difficulties, the curveballs of life. And so, my friends, when you light the Shabbos candles tomorrow, and you think it's a custom of Jewish women primarily, but of course if there's no woman in the home, then the man does so. And I think when you light the candles, and you circle your hands in front of them, you're symbolically gathering in all the holy light. And we then cover our eyes, and you recite the bracha, to, the bracha of the Shabbos candles. There's this lovely custom that my mother had, and many Jewish women have, is that when you light your Shabbos candles, you take a few moments, and you say a silent prayer, a personal prayer for the well-being of your family. Always remember my mother of blessed memory, she spent several minutes when she would light the Shabbos candles, she would cover her eyes, and you could see those moments of silent contemplation or meditation, I don't know if my mother was the type to meditate per se, whatever you want to call it, but she had her eyes covered and I remember that her her eyes were always a bit red and watery when she was done. I felt that she was closest to God in those moments when she lit the Shabbos candles. To watch my mother gracefully cover her eyes before those flickering candles was to see the sparks of the divine. I know, I don't know, I never asked her what she prayed for, but obviously, you know, it was something, it was a private sacred moment. But I have no doubt that she prayed for me and my siblings, my family, for my father, for our well-being. And certainly, I think each of us, think of that moment when you light your Shabbos candles. to Ask God to allow our children to see in us what we saw in our mothers, and so we say that bracha when you light the Shabbos candles, LaHadlik ner Shel Shabbos Kodesh. Just embrace the light, the warmth. Light up the world when you light your Shabbos candles. Let that light shine forth. There's a beautiful song. I think Shweki sings it. V'zakeini leGadel. Bonim There's a beautiful tchina, a prayer that Shrekis sings. I think it was a, a different Baruch Levine who composed the song, but it goes something like this. Not having the voice right now. the bonim chachomim oy Hashem. Which literally means, I should merit to raise children and descendants who will attach themselves, who will cleave to the ways of Hashem. And they illuminate, they light up the world in the ways of Torah and mitzvahs and following the path of God. So of course, whatever your prayer is, you can follow this beautiful prayer or any other for whatever it is that you seek the blessings for yourself, and for your family. When we come to shul, and everybody's welcome to our shul tomorrow night, well, we're trying to get as many ladies as possible to come light Shabbos candles. It's my wife's 40th birthday. Don't tell her that I'm publicly announcing this. I don't think she wants it as a public statement. But she's not listening, so it's okay. My friends, if you're able to, come to the shul, celebrate with us. Light the Shabbos candles, and bring that light, that warmth, that beauty into the world. Of course, after Shabbos... Candle lighting in shuls, between men chamar, we sing a beautiful song. You all know that beautiful song. It's actually a wonderful, beautiful prayer that passionately depicts our neshama, the soul's yearning for God. It was composed by a 16th century rabbi, a great Kabbalist, one of the great minds Of the what they call the golden age of Tzvat, Rabbi Elazar Azikri, and you think of the words he says: "Yedid nefesh of HaRachaman. He wants that the, the 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 beauty of of my soul should draw close to Hashem, to our Father in Heaven, and it's it's really, I mean, we have a family tune that we sing for this: Yedid nefesh. I just want to focus on on a few of those words. We say that your servant should draw close to your will. Like a deer, we want to draw close to Hashem. Now you think if a person has such passionate longing to draw towards God. Why do we have to be drawn towards Hashem? If we yearn for the divine, why do we have to pray to God that Hashem should like pull us towards Him? Think about it. If I'm, if I'm connected, if I have that, that yearning, wouldn't I already be connected? And I thought, you know, Alexander the Great, he once sat in judgment on one of his subjects, and he found the man guilty, so he sentenced the guy to death. So the fellow says, I appeal. So Alexander said, Who do you appeal to? I'm the highest authority in the in the lands. So he says, Your Majesty, I appeal from Alexander the Small to Alexander the Great. Think of that little anecdote, think of that that thought. All of us have a godly side to our natures, but we all also have a small petty side call it the Sahara, which stifles our soul. And so in this prayer in Yedid Nefesh, we turn to God and express that our soul's deepest desire is to rush to God, to do what is right, what is good. But we also acknowledge that our Yitzhahara, our evil inclination, sometimes prevents us. And therefore we ask Hashem, we implore God, we say we need your help, we need a divine assistance to help us complete that journey to do what we need. And so, as we say these words, therefore, ask Hashem, please, draw me near to you, to release me from this oppressive resistance of my Yitzhara. And then I'll be free to exercise my innermost drive. <laughs> Like a deer that's so swift And is so quick We just need that little bit of divine assistance And we too will draw near to Hashem High FM 101.9 megahertz of life Back to Soul to Soul, writing on 101.9, Chai FM, I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Keevman, and today we're talking about getting ready for the Shabbos project. So let's continue with Kabbalah Shabbos, how we welcome Shabbos. You know, Jewish events are famous for starting late. Albert Einstein once said, I tried my whole life to come late to a Jewish meeting and I never succeeded. But it's not all relative. Shabbos and holidays have specific, precise times. Prayers have specific times. It's as if Jews have two clocks, the social and the spiritual. What does the social clock tell us? Well, we're starting, you know, uh, five-ish. I have a friend, his name is Five-ish. He says, you know why they called me that? Because everything is ish. You know, he's never, I said, I'm Jewish, I'm not sure, everything is ish. But our spiritual clock says, Candle lighting tomorrow, interestingly, is exactly 6 o'clock sharp. There's nothing ishly about it. Obviously, God, give we get this extra 18 minutes. So Shkia will be at 6.18. See, up till 6.18, but we light our candles early. We want to have what we call Tosefes Shabbos, a little bit extra Shabbos. Why is it so important that we keep our spiritual clock so fine-tuned, so exact? When it comes to Shabbos, I think there's a very profound message in its... Precise timing. The law says Shabbos begins exactly at sundown. So tomorrow that's at 6.18pm. So whether Shabbos comes very early here in Johannesburg, what's the earliest Shabbos comes in? About 5.06pm in the winter. Where I grew up in New York, Shabbos could come in earlier than 4pm, like 348 something like that. And as late as 9pm or 8.30pm in the summer. I spent summers in Europe, where Shabbos comes in much later. You know, Shabbos could come in in certain places in Europe very, very late on a Friday evening. I don't remember the exact times, but I do recall it was late, late at night. In fact, what we would do, we were in a camp. We wouldn't do Abdullah on Saturday night. We did Avdalah Sunday morning so the kids could go to sleep. And we would do Abdullah in the morning on Sunday because Shabbos would probably come out sometime close to midnight. That's how late Shabbos, you know, sunset is in certain European cities during the summer. But I think the message to us is, Shabbos is not dependent on our readiness to stop. We don't stop when we are finished. We don't stop when we complete everything we have to do. Oh wait, I'm finishing my phone call, or finishing my report that's that's due tomorrow. You know, last year I was working on my my thesis, on my uh, dissertation to finish my master's. And I remember, you know... (laughs) sometimes working very, very late on a Friday, but then Shabbos comes, shut the computer. We stop because it's time to stop. Because our souls need us to stop, as God did, that's it. Shabbos requires surrender. If we stopped only when our work is finished, as I would do on ordinary weekdays, writing my dissertation, till late, late, late at night, I just have to edit a few more lines, just have to change a few more things, just fix something up, then we would never stop. Because our work is never completely done. With every accomplishment comes a new responsibility. Every mopped floor, you ever see what happens? You needed to mop it again. Yeah. The kids dropped something, somebody put their footstep. You know how it goes. Every child bathed all of a sudden. Yeah, I look at it with my wife. We just bathed the kid. How did he how did she get so dirty so quickly? You know how it goes, that's kids. And then what happens? You tweet a message out there. You think you have only one tweet to respond with. You need a whole million of Twitters. You see, all life moves in cycles. Nothing is ever finished. The sun goes around, the moon goes around, the tides and season, everything goes round, and so do we, round and round. What do they say about New Year's resolutions? They go in one year, out the other. Somebody recently asked me, one of my congregants, Rabbi, why do I get a phone call eight times a year for Chabad's annual campaign. You know how it goes. So, my friends, our work is never complete. If we refuse to rest until we are finished, we will never get to rest until we pass on. That's the way it is. Shabbos, what does Shabbos do? Shabbos dissolves that artificial urgency of our days that Shabbos, it liberates us from the need to be finished. What does Shabbos tell us? Stop now, not a moment more. As the sun touches the horizon, take your hand off the plow, put down the remote control, let the keyboard be, put your phone aside. You know why they call it a cell phone? Because sometimes we are just in jail with it. We're just, we're just locked and glued to it. Just put everything down. Stop. When Shabbos comes, our spiritual clock, it just chimes and tells us, time to rejuvenate ourselves. And when I say rejuvenate, pun is intended. There's no room for negotiation. We stop because there's a force larger than us, God Almighty, who takes care of the universe. And when Shabbos comes around, God says, while your efforts are obviously important and necessary, we're partners with God but somehow the galaxy will manage without you for 25 hours. That's it. We are invited by God. In fact, we're commanded by Hashem to relax, to enjoy. It's called Onek Shabbos. Take some time on Shabbos to just connect with our soul, connect with our friends, with our family. Shmooze, pray to God. Sing songs, sing Hashem's praises and gratitude for everything we have. Count our blessings. And so we start off our Shabbos service, right after Yedid Nefesh we begin, Lechu Naranana. we sing the songs of Shabbos. There are six psalms representing each of the days of the week, followed by Lechadodi, which is symbolizing Shabbos Kodesh. And so we have the six psalms, there, each one representing another day of the week, but Lechadodi represents Shabbos. And it's sung to welcome the presence of Shabbos. But there's another aspect, another more subtle structure to these passages, to these blessings and praises that we sing on Friday night. The first five, they speak of God's sovereignty over the universe. And they represent the song that creation sings to its creator. But the sixth song that we sing, Mismar you know that beautiful song that we sing in Shul on Friday nights? Our sages tell us that's a description of when God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai. And so, we finally conclude with Lakhadodi, which describes the redemption and the future world of peace and harmony that we so desperately need these days. So the entire sequence is describing the movement from the beginning of the week, the first five Psalms, our creation. We start off with L'chonoranana, read the words of the L'chonoranana, you'll see how it's describing how all of creation sings God's praises. The sixth psalm is moving from creation to revelation at Mount Sinai. And finally, L'Chadodi is singing about redemption, about a future world. So just after we do L'Chun HaRanana, and L'Chun HaRanana concludes with with the, all of creation coming and singing the praises of Hashem, we move then into Shirul Kol Or whatever song you do in your, in your shul. Shirul Shir Kol It's actually Psalm 96 of Tehillim. And it speaks of the songs of, of creation singing to Hashem. Let's just look at a few words here. The, the conclusion. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Let the sea roar. You see the words are describing all of creation singing to Hashem. Let the fields be jubilant and everything that's in it. We describe the trees of the forest that sing for joy before Hashem. Nature is beautiful. You think of the starry heavens above, the sun's power and beauty, the moon's gentle light that fills the mind with awe. A couple of Weeks back, my family had the privilege to go out to Pilensburg for a couple of days. And I remember it was a public holiday, I think it was just one night, and we spent the day before and the day after. And it was incredible, our, our tour guide was seemed to also be a, a stargazer, an, astro- an astrologer. He, he took my kids with uh, looking out and showing them the galaxies, showing them the various stars. It's incredible. Try it tonight. The next time you're outside at night, Look up, you know, take a break from our cell phone screen, just look up to heaven. And you'll find it's hard to live under a sky full of stars and not be struck by its vastness, the mystery. It's incredible. The pagans, they looked up and they worshipped nature. The Greeks regarded the powers of nature as holy. They saw it, you know, the, the, the holy rain and the holy light. Those are characteristics. That was their attitude. And you know, there's various expressions from, from the different from Aristotle and even Shakespeare and, and all the other famous ones who, who call these nature, we worship you, and uh, nature, you're my goddess, or whatever other things. The, the worship of nature, that was paganism. And the truth is, it's not just in ancient times. Even today, thinks people who, who worship nature are literally or figuratively. How do we as Jews see nature? Well, the Torah and our prayers, we celebrate the beauty of nature. And you think about these prayers that we sing on Friday night. This very psalm is testimony to the fact that David, King David, who composed these prayers for us, he's very sensitive to nature's form, its color, the power, the motion of nature. But nature is not a phenomenon in and of itself. It's a fulfillment of God's will. The majesty of the universe, as breathtaking as it is, it's not some kind of cosmic accident. It was designed by the very same God who created us. So we don't praise the world for its beauty. We call upon the world and everything in it to sing to Hashem, to sing Hashem's praises and express the gratitude. The Greeks and many others, they believe the Mother Earth. But we believe in Mother Earth. So we don't hug trees, right? They believe in it. We don't believe in Mother Earth itself. The trees are not our creators. There's only one parent for all of mankind, for all of Earth. That's Hashem, Almighty God. We don't praise Earth when we eat His grain. What do we say when we make a bracha? Think about it. We say, Baruch <laughs> atah Hashem, Blessed be God Almighty who creates the fruit of the tree. So in Judaism, the link between the creation and Creator is not broken. The beauty of the universe points us towards the majesty of Hashem, the architect of the universe. Even when our ancestors ate the manna from heaven as we discussed yesterday, they made a bracha, blessed be Hashem, who brings forth bread from Shabbat, from heaven. Very famous Jewish artist Mark Chagall, there used to be a restaurant here at Balfour Park called Chagall's. I think it was owned by Alan Bender, who's since moved on to Australia. And in his restaurant there, he had a lot of Chagall paintings. So Chagall was one of the most successful artists, in fact, of the 20th century. And he created unique art in virtually every artistic medium paintings and, and book illustrations, he had stained glass windows, he had stage sets, fine art designs, all type of designs. You know, I worked for, I used to work for an artist in New York, Michal Machnik, and he also tried, you know, I think Chigal was his, was his uh, mentor. He used to also have all types of art designs that he would do in different mediums that he would produce, from giclets to, to paintings to glass, and glass, very, very many different types of art mediums. Anyways, so Times Magazine, they actually, um, I think they called them the most influential, I don't remember what they said, but you know, the Times Magazine has a, a whole art critique section. And they called Chagall the quintessential Jewish artist of the 20th century. So somebody once asked Chagall, a friend of his, said, tell me your secret. How do you know if a painting of yours represents true art? And they say that Shagal told his friend, this is what I do, and it's the best test for art that I know. When I judge art, I take my painting, and I put it next to the creation of God, like a tree or, or a flower. If it clashes, it's not art. So to look at the world and see it as God's art, that's the quintessential Jewish artist. This is exactly what Dabar HaMelech is saying to him, and this is what we do when we say his words in our prayers on Friday night. Our task is to make sure that what we create and what we build is in harmony with God's world. And so, my friends, when you say these prayers tomorrow evening in Shul, Shirul Hashem Shir you sing the songs, the praise of God. That's exactly what we do. Hariyulashem Kalha call out to God all the inhabitants of the earth. Let me tell you a story. A KGB agent once said to a rabbi, When I peek into your synagogues on Friday night to see if you Jews are engaging in some kind of counter revolutionary activities, I hear you singing psalms that call upon all the nations of the world to praise God for his salvation. We we say these words in our prayers. He says, it's strange. Why should you Jews call on others, many of whom are your oppressors, like us, KGB? You want us to praise your God? Pray for your salvation? So the rabbi said, I'll tell you the meaning, but give me your word that you're not going to arrest me for this. So the KGB agent consented, probably arrest them anyways afterward. But he said, "Go ahead, you have my word." The rabbi explained, "We Jews have no way of knowing the extent of your conspiracies against us. Only you and the bureau, the the, the, the KGB, what do they call it, the KGB and the Enkavodet of various bureaus that they had to secretly, clandestinely investigate and interrogate. and know exactly. Only you know how many times you plotted against us." But you also know how many times you've been frustrated by God's intervention. You're far more conscious than we are of the magnitude of God's miraculous salvation. Only you can appreciate the full extent of God's greatness. And therefore we call on you to do the singing. And one day you will, no doubt about it. One day you certainly will. Because I've been to Russia. It's miraculous to believe that a place where my father was raised in the 1930s and 40s in deep, dark communism of Russia is all of a sudden a flourishing country where Yiddishkeit, where Jews are, are proudly and freely expressing and living their Judaism. It's a world apart from the past. So that indeed is a great illustration of that. But of course, from there, in, in fact, after um, uh, we conclude with Mizmah LeDavid. And in there we sing. We have God's name. I think it's eighteen times. Chai, life. Uh, from there we go on to Lechadodi, Lechadodi, Likraskala, Penei Shabbas, That's why we started a choir in our shul because I can't sing for the life of mine. We need a choir to camouflage my voice. So what do we say in Lechadodi? Come, my beloved. Likras Kala to greet the bride, Panay Shabbas Nakabla. We're going to greet the face of Shabbos. It's a beautiful song. We invite God, our beloved, to join us in greeting the Shabbos bride. Why is Shabbos called a bride, my friends? A bride is someone you never get sick of. You're madly in love with her. A bride is radiant, she's charming, she's beautiful. Shabbos to us, even though we've been celebrating it for thousands of years, it's still our beautiful Kala. It's for every young and new. We are in love with Shabbos. Shabbos is, is the time to rejuvenate. And so, my friends, when you sing that Lich dodi tomorrow, think about how you are so grateful this opportunity. Thank God it's Shabbos Kodesh. Thank God. We have the opportunity to see once again our beautiful bride. We'll be right back. Hi FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. Back to soul to soul, right here on one hundred one point nine Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivman. And so, straight after we conclude the L'chadoviy, which we sing so jubilantly, and hopefully we're able to start dancing again at my shul. At least I dance with my kids. After the Chadadi, because it's a beautiful tradition. I remember the week just before lockdown, when we stopped the dance, and we all danced in our place, because we knew that COVID is getting more serious. And it's already been, what, 19 months, and so we haven't danced the But right after the Chadadi, what do we do? We sing a beautiful prayer, Mizmar Shirli Yom HaShabbos, as we discussed a few days ago. Not only is this prayer referring to Shabbos today, but rather it refers to the Yom Shekula Shabbos. The time will be an eternal Shabbos for the whole entire world. last night, my kids were practicing a song on this Sa You know that beautiful song that we sing Friday nights? What does it mean? That the righteous will flourish katamar like a palm tree. Ba'alevanan. All right, no more singing for me. But you think about this, why we say, you know, the wicked, they spring up like grass, only to be destroyed forever. But sadik the righteous, katamar yifrach, they will flourish like a palm tree. Very interestingly, medical research says, in fact, that this is the way the world works. There was uh, some years ago, a... One of the medical centers conducted a study of Type A personalities. We all know people like this. You know, they're intense, are driven, achievement obsessed people. You know, they they they, they dictate letters while they're brushing their teeth in the morning, watching the news, simultaneous. You know, multitasking. And they often rise to the top of companies because they never waste a the moment. They're always looking for an edge. And so the researcher, the researcher's theory was that these people are going to make themselves sick because they're so intense. They'll drive themselves to high blood pressure, to heart attacks, to, to ulcers. You know what a doctor once told me, ulcers don't only come from what you eat, they come from what eats at you, from that stress. So the researcher's theory was that these people are going to make themselves sick because of all that intense, it's, it's, it's a high price to pay for success. You ever watched The Crown? A little bit of a depiction of Winston Churchill. And at his 80th birthday celebration, they show him he's sipping a, a martini he's puffing a cigar as he always did. And so a journalist asked him, Is it true that you smoke eight to ten cigars a day? Yes, it's true. He says, Is it true that you drink five martinis a day? Yes, certainly true. So why does your doctor say, what does your doctor say about all this? The journalist asked him. He says, my doctor he died 17 years ago <laughs> i know that that uh, churchill himself probably had plenty of of pressure but they they ran they took a whole lot of these type a personalities and they ran them through a battery of medical examinations and the result was fascinating turns out if you are a hard driving type a because you are suspicious of everybody else Because you think the world is a jungle out there, and if you don't get that person first, he's gonna get you. Because your definition of success is looking out for number one by putting num- even, you know, by putting number one over everyone else. And the research shows that you are likely to make yourself sick. As Rabbi Goldman, I heard him once say, in the rat race of life, even if you win the race, you're still a rat. A lot of people see this world as a dog-eats-dog world. But is that the way we want to see our lives? But if you're hard-driven, if you're the ambitious type A because you enjoy the challenge of getting things done, because you find it deeply satisfying that a project went well as a result of you being in charge, because you find it satisfying to know that things are better for the company, for your organization, for your department, for whatever, because of your efforts because of your enthusiasm, passion and energy, and in fact you'll be fine. In fact, many of this kind of type A were healthier than the average person their age because they're driven. For me, the most important lesson of this study is that human beings are not meant to be antagonistic or jealous of one another. And in fact, we cannot, you know, we, cannot, we can't survive if we're, we have that, that animosity, that, Hatred that that uh, you know when you hate you don't destroy the only the other you destroy yourself at the same time. But when we are driven, when we have that that drive to flourish and succeed, to not just survive but to thrive, then I think we could do wonders with that with that type A drive inside ourselves. We know that our bodies are designed that certain ways of living promote health. In other ways, you know, if we eat too much potato chips and drinking too much uh, 7-Up, <laughs> then what happens? I shouldn't speak too loud. Hopefully we uh, remain okay, but it, it, it's damaging to us physically. Similarly, it's not just about our physical well being. Our neshamas, our souls, our fashions, that certain behaviors, they nourish our soul, whereas other behaviors are poisonous, are toxic to the soul. And of course, if it's toxic to the soul, then it's going to have a detrimental effect on our body. And that's certainly what the research has shown. God put us in this earth to do good, to strive for improvement and justice, to share with each other, to dry the tears, to hold the hands of people we know who need that encouragement, who who need a hand, who need upliftment, and to let them do it for us when we need it. Sometimes so hard to accept help from others. But when we crush our soul by cheating, by being hostile to each other, by acting selfishly because we believe the world is a jungle, because of that ego, you know what ego stands for, besides for haughtiness, easing God out. And we suffer for it. If we realize that everything that happens in this world is part of our divine plan. In Yom yesterday we read, every single step of man, mehashem mitzadik everkananu, it's a verse in telling King David says, the footsteps of man are planned by God. And we won't be so angry when things don't go exactly our way. And so when we say these words in Davening tomorrow night, tzadik katamar yifrach, we realize of course it says first that the Rishoyim, bifrach Rishoyim k'mayaysev, we realize that, that the wicked, that the people who are just out there because they want to beat the other, then like grass, you know, they're going to be like grass that withers away. But if it's tzadik, if your intentions are righteous, then katamarifrach then you'll flourish like the palm tree. Live wrong, you'll feel like grass that rots and fades away. Live right, and even if you're a type A, you use it As we've been saying constantly in these shiurim, use every fiber of our being, every aspect of our life. Eat delicious food, but use the nutrients of it to serve Hashem, to fulfill your divine mandate and purpose, mission in this world. Then you will flourish like the palm tree. You will flourish, you will grow, you'll be there for others. Why did I jump to there? I thought a little thought about one of the aspects of L'Chadodi, you know, we sing. We sing the song. What does it mean? He's not Arise from the dust. Shake the dust off yourself. Shake off the grime that covers our soul. Beautiful thought, A young composer once came to Mozart for advice how to develop his talents. So Mozart told him, begin writing simple songs first. Do this for several years. (laughs) This frustrated young composer says to Mozart, but you composed majestic symphonies when you were just a child. Why do you tell me to write simple songs first? And Mozart said, you see, I never asked anyone what to do. We're all born with our own innate creativity, our holiness. But our neshama, our soul, gets covered with dust, with bad habits, with wrong deeds, with all types of problems. And so, lost and confused, we go to different experts seeking advice. You know what they say about advice? It's the only commodity with more in supply than demand. (coughs) We feel, we don't realize, that the answers are within us. We're born with them. Isnari, we sing tomorrow, wake up, shake off the dust, the grime that covers our soul. Sometimes we just need a nice good dry cleaning before Shabbos. Maybe Shabbos itself is the dry cleaning of our soul. Don't worry about, don't spend years writing simple songs. Express the symphonies that your soul was born knowing how to create. Uri, Uri, Wake up, wake up. Sing your song of life. Enjoy every moment of life. Let's conclude with a beautiful testimony that we all give Friday nights of God creating the world six days and resting on Shabbos the 7th. We sing Lechadod. We sing Vayichu HaShemayim. Beautiful, beautiful song we sing every, every Friday evening. <coughs> In fact, it's the words of our Kiddush. And Columbia University, they they owned a um, a building in New York, Rockefeller Center, one of the most valuable places of real estate in midtown Manhattan. And it had been given to them by the university, um, to the university, by the developers, and it was leased back to the tenants, and the income would go for scholarships, for endowment, for whatever expenses, you know how universities work. However, one day a year, Rockefeller Center was legally closed to traffic. As a statement to the public that Columbia owned Rockefeller Center. This is in New York, you know, the famous ice skating rink. And this in effect is what we do when we keep Shabbos as a special and holy day. We declare that even if it's some you know, even if it sometimes seems that the other six days of the week we belong to our jobs and we're not owned, we're we're engaged in all types of other activities, but we have to declare one day a week that we're not owned by that.